HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. HRN is food radio supported by you. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. Today's program is brought to you by Zoop. Good, really good which makes flavor-forward broths, super premium soups, and gourmet broth concentrates, all in glass jars. For more information, visit www.zoopbroth.com. Hey there, and welcome to the Feed Feed Podcast. I'm Alexa Santos. The Feed Feed is the world's largest crowdsourced food publication and social media community, serving as your daily source for what to cook, bake, eat, and drink. Here on the podcast, we are speaking with members of the hashtag Feed Feed community to hear their stories, learn about their culinary inspirations, and get some of their best cooking tips. Today, I'm so excited to be joined by Francis Largeman Roth. Francis is a registered dietitian, nutritionist, New York Times bestselling author, and nationally recognized nutrition and wellness expert. She is a proponent of a balanced plant-forward lifestyle and loves helping people make healthy eating fun. Her newest book is her fifth book, actually, and it's called Everyday Snack Tray. It's a go-to guide for creating colorful, flavorful, nutritionally diverse, fun boards and trays for every occasion. Well, that sounds like my ideal way to eat, Francis. So you are preaching to the choir over here. Thank you so much for being here. Oh, it's a pleasure, Alexa. Thanks so much for having me. I'm a big Yay. Feed Feed fan. Yay. Happy to hear it. So let's go back to the very beginning. And obviously now you have all these accolades and cookbooks and amazing things going on. But tell me, I guess, a bit about how this all started, where you grew up. How did you become interested in food from the very beginning? Let's just walk it back to the beginning. Oh wow, yeah, we're going back. We're going back a bit, but <laughs> I grew up, I grew up in a small town called Salamanca, New York, which is on a Native American reservation in Western New York. And uh, why was I there? How did I end up there? My parents met in Germany. My mom's family had an inn. And it was an inn and restaurant, so you could come and stay over and have your bratwurst. And she met my dad because he was stationed there. He was a, an army dentist. And so he used to come to the inn and, and actually bring other dates there. And then he finally oh asked goodness. my mom out. Yeah. And so they, uh, they moved to the States and eventually ended up in this small town called Salamanca. And she liked it because it had these beautiful rolling hills, which reminded her of her homeland. And my dad liked it because it was far from his mother in Brooklyn. 
So it was a strange place, though, for them to land because they didn't know anybody there. And uh, so I grew up in a in a German Jewish household and have memories of my grandmother from Brooklyn coming and visiting for she would stay a, a long time. She'd bring this giant suitcase that was all like taped up and twined, twined up with all the deli specialties, uh, herring and lox and tongue and um, bagels and bialis and everything. And so we would feast on that when she would come because we had nothing like that, uh, you know, around where I lived. Yeah. So it's, um, it's kind of a, kind of an interesting mix. And then my mom, of course, was making German specialties and that is uh, that is what I grew up eating. Just a, you know, a, a mix of those things. And I actually, you know, I just listened to your podcast with my friend Natasha Feldman. Yes. And I heard how she didn't grow up really that interested in food. So it was kind of the same for me in the sense that I didn't think I was going to go into food. You know, my mom was always like, "Come, oh. sit. Let's make this or that." I was very dead set on being a veterinarian. So from the age of five, yes, I thought I was going to be taking care of dogs and cats. And, you know, I actually did pursue that. I went to Cornell and studied animal science for four years, but I got really intrigued by the animal nutrition classes and eventually said, you know what? I think that down the road, a couple of years from now, people are going to be really interested, <laughs> more interested than they are now in food and what it can do for them. So I, you know, changed gears, became a dietitian, and that started me on the path. But what I also knew was that I was very interested in writing. Okay. And I wasn't really sure if it was viable to combine the two because at that time, there weren't a lot of dietitians doing that, combining media with being a nutritionist. It, it wasn't really a thing. Um, I will say that my friend Ellie Krieger is definitely a pioneer in, in doing that. She had her own Food Network show, was the first dietitian to do that. Um, but I, I boldly went ahead and you know became an RD, moved out to San Francisco, and worked in a clinic for a while. And then the Discovery Channel was launching Discovery Health. And I pitched myself to them as a writer. And that was kind of sheer folly because I had no clips. (laughs) (laughs) I had no writing clips at all, but I did have patient handouts. And I tried to write those with, you know, um, I try to write them in a humorous way because my patient population was mostly people who had HIV and AIDS and they needed a little bit of, you know, humor in their life, a little bit of lightheartedness. And so that's what I sent. And amazingly they hired me. And so I went way and I moved to DC and worked for the discovery health channel. And it was a dream job. It just goes to show that, you know, Obviously, there are certain ways to do things and certain rules to follow, (laughs) but sometimes you just have to forge ahead and make your own path. Yeah, totally. I love that. So that's 
really incredible. And when did you decide to start, you know, leaning into this more plant forward lifestyle? I know that's become obviously much more trendy in the last decade or so, but I would, I guess that you're on the cutting edge of that or what was kind of the story there? The story there was that I was a vegetarian for a long time, especially when I was becoming a veg. I didn't really want to eat the animals that I thought I might be helping. Um, but, um, but you know, then I, I sort of broadened my diet and kind of understood, Hey, maybe, maybe some meat if it's ethically sourced and if it's, you know, healthy, maybe that's okay to include in your diet. But what I really focused on was color. And so I wrote a book called eating in color that came out about 10 years ago and yeah, it's coming up on 10 years. And that was really about not preaching to people because unfortunately dietitians have a bad rap for preaching to people about, you got to eat your fruits and vegetables, eat more salads. I realized that people don't really like that message. It doesn't really resonate. And what does resonate is, Hey, just get more color on your plate. Just, yeah, put some purple, put some green, a little red would be good. And just by doing that, your plate is more beautiful, uh, more interesting, more fun to eat, but also guess what? It has a lot more nutrients on it as well. well I had a good feeling you were on the cutting edge of this and I, it sounds like I was right. <laughs> yeah. And maybe that's why the book didn't sell that well, because it was a little <laughs> early. <laughs> just a little, came out a wee bit too early, but, um, I am still really a big proponent of just thinking about food in terms of let's get more variety, you know, let's, let's add more as opposed to taking things off the plate. Ah, I actually like that mentality a lot because you hear like, you know, certain ingredients or food groups getting kind of like vilified and, Mm -hmm. you know, it becomes hard when you really like that thing, whether that be meat or cheese or carbs And then it kind of feels like you're in this scarcity type mindset where you're like, okay, well, let me just keep all that away from me. And then you're craving it. So your mentality of just kind of adding things to that seems to be a much better approach where, you know, would you say that a lot of people that you work with or a lot of people that have read your books or whatever have seen success with that method or what's kind of the feedback that you get there? Yeah, I mean, I think it is it is an approach that people really love to hear about because unfortunately diet culture has preached, Oh, you got to cut this out, that out, the other thing out. And, you know, unfortunately that leads to a lot of disordered eating and a lot of unbalanced diets. And that is, that might net you some short-term goals, but it is not good for long-term health. And Hey folks, I, I mean, at least I want to, I want to live to a hundred. I don't know about you, but I think, uh, most of us don't want to be 80 and feeling and and sick, right? We want to be 80 and wow. Hey, I'm still loving life. So this, this approach you know, by just being inclusive, trying new things, uh, you know, uh, diversifying your diet. It's not only good for you, it's also just kind of a, a healthier, more well-rounded way to live. And it's also good for your gut. Oh, and how is that? How is that is that 
so I said diversify. We need yes. a diverse a diversity of um, microbes in our gut to have a healthy and robust microflora that will actually resist bacteria and viruses. So when we when we have a limited diet, guess what? We have a limited microbiome. Uh, and so by eating more, more diverse foods and also more plants, because they have fiber and uh, we need that prebiotic fiber to help feed the probiotics in our gut. Um, so it all just is like one big, one big circle, right? The more plants, the happier your gut is, the healthier you are, the more your skin glows. It's, it's all just uh, one big circle. All right. Well, love to hear that. Yeah. (laughs) Your first book that you said that was your first book, the one about eating colors, correct? Not the very first. The very first was, uh, was feed the belly, the pregnant mom's healthy eating guide. And I was just so fascinated by, this is before being pregnant, fascinated by cravings and why do women crave certain things when they're pregnant. And so that sort of sent me down a whole road of pregnancy nutrition. And, you know, uh, it turns out uh, that actually there's a lot of work (laughs) that goes into healthy eating when you're pregnant, just because you need so many more nutrients. And, uh, you know, three, three kids later, here I am. And um, yeah, that, that's what launched my interest in writing books. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's something that, you know, I'm still passionate about, but I have certainly broadened my horizons and what I'm interested in. Okay. All right. We're going to take a quick break and hear from our sponsors. Serving soup face-to-face to customers across the country at Zoop Eatery locations for over two decades, the Zoop Good Really Good team learned people's preferences. And they use this as a secret sauce to create a collection of super premium soups, flavor-forward broths, and gourmet broth concentrates. Available in nine varieties, ranging from chicken pot pie and spicy chicken gelada to portobello mushroom bisque and butternut squash, the clean ingredient soups are perfect for enjoying a comfort meal in minutes. The broth lineup, which includes chicken, beef, veggie, and seafood broths, plus bone broths, features rich, simmered all-day flavor. For even more versatility, Zoop offers culinary concentrates, which easily boost the taste of casseroles, pastas, and rice dishes. All products are packaged in recyclable and reusable glass jars, free of artificial ingredients, preservatives, and GMOs. They're available at your favorite retailers across the country and through Instacart, plus online at zoopbroth.com, walmart.com, and Amazon. Browse recipes and learn more at zoopbroth.com or by following at zoopgoodreallygood on Facebook, Instagram, and Pinterest. Hi, listeners. We wanted to let you know that Heritage Radio Network's Julia Child Fellowship application is now open. The fellowship offers an enriching experience for aspiring food writers and journalists who share our passion for food systems change. The fellowship is a great way to progress in the field of food journalism and digital media and will start in early January 2024. This fellowship will provide participants with hands-on experience, mentorship, and access to an extensive network of industry professionals. The application deadline is November 27, 2023. Check out heritageradionetwork.org and click on the Julia Child Foundation Writing Fellowship link to learn more. If you or someone you know has interest in food studies and journalism, this might be a great fit. 
Go to heritageradionetwork.org and check out the application today. Thank you. It's kind of the perfect time for a book like this to be coming out with all the trends of like girl dinner and the charcuterie plate vibes and all that. So were you kind of leaning into that or how did you decide to go into a book that's, you know, kind of about boards and trays and that type of thing? Great question. To be honest, I thought that maybe the trend had already jumped the shark when oh. I uh, when I proposed this. But what we are seeing is that it just kind of continues to morph, you know? So from charcuterie tray to girl dinner to who knows what is next, um, what's driving it really is Gen Z because um, I just looked at some research on this they love snacking and yes. they love putting together a meal that consists of snacks. Uh, but I wouldn't say I'm trying to cater to the Gen Z uh, crowd, but it just so happens that, you know, they're kind of moving the needle on several different fronts. But um, it kind of grew out of when my kids were little, you know, you, you feed kids, they throw it on the floor, they don't eat half of it. They, you know, it's not a fun thing for parents for most yeah. of the time. And so I would save what was left. And it turned out that it was like a little bit of this and a little bit of that. My husband was always like, are you really saving that? And I said, yeah, I'm saving it. And so I, w- I started putting it out in ramekins instead of on plates. Oh. And I noticed that my kids actually ate more and we're more willing to try things if I put it out in these little ramekins or little bowls. And that grew into, okay, now let me put it on a tray. And then that grew into the kids saying, hey, mom, can you make me a snack tray for my birthday? Or, hey, I'm having a slumber party. Can you make a snack tray? And so I started doing more and more of them and sharing them on social. And people were like, oh, I love these. I love this concept. And so yeah, a friend finally said, why isn't that your next book? (laughs) And I said, you're right. Yeah. So um, it was really fun to put together because again, this is not a prescriptive nutrition book by any stretch of the imagination. It's really about finding moments to spend with your family and your friends in a very low stress way. So you don't have to, even though I love Natasha's book, you don't have to have a dinner party. If you don't have time, you can right. just make a snack tray. <laughs> well, I'm like fully on board with that. That sounds pretty ideal, honestly. And like with the, you know, girl dinner trend of late and, you know, me working in food media content, that was obviously something that I made a fair bit of videos about. And I was like, this is really delightful. Like I really, Mm -hmm. really love this. And so I think it's, you know, a very fun and, you know, I've, I'm a millennial. So I've been like kind of on the forefront of the charcuterie board trends. And now this is the new thing. And I feel like it's just a delightful and fun way to eat. So in the book, is it kind of organized by occasion or organized by ingredient or how do you kind of break this out into all these different ideas? Cause some people may be wondering like, how does someone have a whole book of ideas versus about <laughs> snack boards and trays? So I guess how yeah. does it work in the book. So it's 
it's divided into seasons, actually. So you start with winter and the magical season, and there's a holiday cookie platter and a locka tray and a holiday morning platter and a New Year's Eve party platter. And then as we move into February, there are some other, you know, like really cozy ideas. And so then, you know, each season has its own holidays and its own you know, special occasions that you might be celebrating. So it's a mix of holiday trays and also just truly everyday types of trays. Oh, okay. That's actually a very good idea. And I think when you get into kind of seasonal produce, especially, you know, spring and summer and all that really delicious stuff, I think that that probably is a big part of what shines on these boards and trays that you're putting together, I would guess. Is that correct? Absolutely. Yes, absolutely. There's a farmer's market tray. And one of my favorites actually is the neighbors are coming tray because we've all said to new neighbors, Hey, stop by anytime. No, really stop by anytime. Uh (laughs) And then sometimes people actually take you up on that. So (laughs) this is, this is the tray for when, Oh my God, they're actually coming over at five and I didn't shop and let's go see what's in the freezer. And, you know, you just basically rummage through your cabinets and come up with something that actually looks presentable that people will love. And again, you shouldn't be stressed about it. Yes. Okay. Well, I love that. It all sounds absolutely (laughs) delightful. So like I said, I am drinking the Kool-Aid. You are preaching to the choir. This is right up my alley. I totally love it. And so for you looking forward, what are kind of your goals and ambitions? It seems like you've kind of changed vibe of what you've been writing about and pursuing in your career over the years. So is it, you know, do you kind of know like, oh, this is where my sweet spot is. I want to keep working in this area. Or do you think maybe it'll change again? Or what do you kind of think about what the future holds for you? Well, that is a great question, Alexa. I would love to keep leaning into this type of easy, entertaining. And, you know, when I say entertaining, I really mean like for close friends and family, you know, or for, for whomever, right? I just posted a reel today about a fall fest snack table and you know, why not? If you can do a tray, you can do a table. It really depends on how much food you have to put out there. But I think that there, I think there's a real intersection between, um, enjoyment and feeding yourself and having it be something that's celebratory. And it, you know, I I feel like it used to be when I was younger, that celebratory food had to be super decadent whether that was like sweets and, you know, all matter of cakes or whatever, the or like rich, heavy dishes, things like that. That was like celebration food. But yes. I don't think that's how we eat anymore. I think we eat in a more um, interesting way that really you can have a delicious, you know, big ass salad and that could be celebratory too. Or, you know, a whole tray of fresh fruit. And that's awesome. And people get excited about that. So I think, yeah, I I think I've kind of stepped away from the sort of, you know, nutrition or or diet kind of uh, guidebook, even though there's certainly, you know, good information there and stepped into more like a, a sort of a lifestyle approach. Oh, 
okay. Yeah, no, I absolutely love that. And so I know that writing a book is a huge labor of love and now you have five. And so kind of how does it feel to have these different ideas and concepts and recipes of yours kind of immortalized in a way that people all over the country and the world can access them? I mean, it's, it's exciting. It feels, it feels pretty fabulous. I will say that when I first interviewed at discovery ages ago, I went in and I talked to the big boss and, and she was like, so what do you see yourself doing in 20 years? And I said, writing cookbooks. <laughs> oh, well, hey, you manifested it. I manifested it. So that feels great. And, you know, I think, I think for me, it's been fine to kind of jump from thing to thing. Although I have had literary agents tell me that that's the kiss of death and you should just <laughs> find one thing. You should find one thing and stick to it. But at, to me, that's boring. You know, I mean, it's great if that works out for you. If you can be the cookie maven your entire life, awesome. Didn't work for me. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I mean, it seems more like sort of true to you that you were kind of flexing with what you were actually interested in. And like you said, you were interested in the pregnancy cravings and you were so passionate about that at the time that you wrote a whole book about it. And now, you know, you're interested about snack boards. And so you wrote a whole book about that. But I think it's honestly more authentic that you're kind of ebbing and flowing with what's actually interesting to you and what you're passionate about versus just like chugging through another book about, you know, cookies that you've already kind of like, you're like, all right, well, I've given all the ideas I have to give. What else could there possibly be? So I think that's just kind of life. You know, we change and our interests change and what we feel like being obsessed with and writing a book about could easily change over the years. So I'm glad that it has worked out for you and that you've been able to kind of flex and grow with your interests and what you feel like writing about. So I think that's a cool thing. So just for my curiosity at this point, we've talked about two or three of the books. What are the other two? (laughs) What are the other two about? So, uh, well, thank you, Alexa. Thank you for that. I think we should be allowed to evolve and grow. So I, I agree. Um, so the one that was a bestseller was the carb lovers diet. And I don't know if you remember that, if it was on your radar at all, but that was, uh, I, I co-wrote that when I was at discovery health, I was the food and nutrition director at, uh, not discovery health, sorry, health magazine, sorry, um, health magazine. I was, uh, the food director there for eight years. And we wrote the carb lovers diet, which was all based on foods with resistant starch, which, uh, helps fill you up and make you, makes you feel fuller for longer. And it's found in foods like beans and slightly green bananas and even pasta. So that's why it was the bestseller because pasta was on the cover of the book. And, um, and then I also have written two smoothie books with prevention magazine. Yeah. Smoothie books. Yeah. So those were fun to do as well. And one was, uh, one of them had a spin where, you know, it's, it's smoothies for different sort of health focuses. So one chapter was all about smoothies that make your skin glow. And one was all about smoothies to eat pre and post workout. So definitely, um, you know, not just, Hey, throw these things in a blender. (laughs) They were were purposeful smoothies. Okay. Well, I mean, it, it's kind of funny to hear about the different ways in which you've, you know, flexed 
the the interests of the time and it seems like you've also grown and evolved with the trends and I feel like I remember when smoothies were so trendy not that they're not trendy now but I feel like people were kind of obsessed with them for a little while yeah um so I could see why that was like a good time for you to do that and yeah it's just very interesting to hear about how one I mean I've never written a cookbook um or any book for that matter and so yeah it's kind of fun to hear like the inside of an author's brain about how that all works and how you like hone in on those things that you're interested in and passionate about. And I assume it takes a lot of work to get that all done and dusted. So (laughs) congratulations on all of those. Honestly, I know it's a ton of work. So those are like your children. Yeah. Yeah. They're, they certainly are. And, um, and it kind of feels like when you have a, a book coming out, it kind of feels like you're planning a wedding. Yes. And like, and some other huge event at the same time. So, you know, lots of ducks in a row and lots of details. And, you know, I mean, for me, almost like the easy part was writing it and doing all the recipes. And now the, uh, the more intricate part is actually making sure that people see it and buy it and love it. So, uh, yeah, I really, I appreciate your, your interest and your great questions. And I think, um, I think that looking through the book, people will sort of think about the whole board trend maybe a little differently and think about it in terms of, oh, yeah, I could make a staycation snack tray and maybe that will brighten my child's day because we're not going on vacation anywhere. That's very cute. And I know that we had mentioned earlier that you have kind of a plant forward focus. Is that the case Mm -hmm. with these books? Because I know when people think of snack boards and things like that, they primarily think of like charcuterie and meats and cheeses. So how are you kind of like taking this plant forward approach to that? Yeah, well, certainly there are no salami roses in everyday (laughs) snack tray. uh, Because this is made for, for busy people, you know, who this isn't so much a craft project, although obviously you can get creative with it and, you know, you should like the way it looks when you put it out there. Uh, but yeah, absolutely. I wanted to include lots of fruits and veggies and whole grains and nuts and seeds and, and all of that. But I think another message that I have here is that, um, you know, instead of dividing the world into good and bad foods, when you put something on, when you put things on a tray, it's kind of the great equalizer. So you can grab gummy worms and carrot sticks at the same time. And it should feel like, yeah, this is all, this is all good. This is all fine. Yeah, this is all good. And I think it's a low pressure way to introduce, especially kids, but other, you know, grownups too, to new foods, because again, you're not like plating it for them. You're letting them choose. Okay. Yeah, no, I totally agree. Cause that is kind of how I want to eat most of the time. <laughs> Carrots and then gummy worms. That sounds like the perfect meal, honestly. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> and it's, yeah. it seems like it breaches like the age gaps too between, you know, families and guests and whatnot. There's kind of something for everybody when you serve food in that type of way. So it sounds very, very cool. Um, was there anything else important to add that I hadn't asked you about yet? I think you've touched on, on pretty much everything. And I think, um, you know, again, the only other thing I would add is that for people who don't, who aren't, you know, super crafty with food, 
this is not difficult. There's not like a high bar (laughs) in terms of skill, right? So you can, you shouldn't feel like you have to have great food styling knowledge in order to put a snack tray together, you know? So I think, uh, you know, I, I provide some guidance in terms of, you know, what looks good and how you should vary the heights and have, you know, a bit of this and a bit of that and kind of balance sweet with salty and savory and spicy. So there's some practical tips in there as well as, uh, as points of inspiration. Yeah. Oh my gosh. I absolutely love, I absolutely love all of that. (laughs) Once again, yeah, this is, this is the right gal that you're talking to over here and me and my (laughs) family too. We love eating like that. So I appreciate you sharing all about your, your story and your inspirations and this fun and winding journey that you've had to do what you've done so far in your career. And I'm sure they're Book number six is going to be excellent as well. <laughs> it seems like you're right on trend with most of these books. So I'll have to come to you next time. I'm wondering what's going to be trending and popular in the food world. <laughs> Please do. So, Please yes. come. Thank you so much for being here. Thanks, Alexa. It's been a thrill. Thank you so much for listening. To learn more about the food and drink discovery platform that is The Feed Feed, head to thefeedfeed.com. If you have a food story to tell or want us to interview a blogger, cookbook author, chef, or restaurateur, we would love your suggestions. Just send us a DM on Instagram. See you next time. The Feed Feed podcast is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.